0: And while I believe that some ceremonies observe the quiet practice known as noble silence, many rituals encourage participants to emote as necessary, such as crying, screaming, and purging. Oh my. And laughing. I think that laughing is okay too. Although I'm really nervous at the prospect of sitting in like pretty stark silence and then suddenly someone just starts screaming. That's a vibe. That's a big vibe. Hello, love. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Julia Henning. OG Sheetanist, Conscious Life and Relationship Coach, Master of Psychology, and Spirit Junkie. And I invite you to join me as I explore the big questions and even bigger feelings of what it means to be alive. Casual, right? I offer myself as permission to hang up society's mask and slip into something a little more authentic. From philosophy to psychology, inner child to inner demons, sorcery to sexuality, I tap into it all. So leave your labor at the door and make the mundane magical again. Welcome to the Permission Portal, your safe space for radical permission. Are you ready to up-level with someone who gets it good. Let's go. You know, I really love those birds. (laughs) I'll say it again. I really do. Shout out to my musical composer, Matt Wood, for creating just the perfect musical portal entrance for our time together. Not to mention the fact that those are Costa Rican birds. And oh, how excited I am that I will soon be hearing them in person again. That's right, I'm preparing for an upcoming Costa Rica adventure. In fact, that is what I'm here to talk about on this episode. Hey guys, in this solo session, I'm diving deep into the healing power of plant medicine and my decision to drink ayahuasca. But before we get into it, I like to start off every episode with a little grounding first in what I call good juju. Wherever you are, I invite you to take a deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. Now let's do that again, but with this next exhale, I want you to imagine all of your to-do lists, emails, phone calls, text messages, worries, stressors, and anxieties slipping away, letting them go completely. Imagine them lifting off of you and smile. Trust that they're waiting for you after this time together, but give yourself permission to tune in and to tune inward. Take one more deep breath in and ask yourself, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being I could take over the world right now and one being not so much, where is your mood right now? I also like to draw upon a little extra energy to really bolster the feeling of the topic that we're going to dive into. And pulling from What was I attracted to today? The Health and Law of Attraction cards by Esther and Jerry Hicks. I call upon the number 51. Hmm. My strong imagined positive desires can outweigh negative belief patterns. Okay. This card says anything you practice in your mind until the idea begins to feel natural to you must come to physical fruition. The Law of Attraction guarantees it. So as you practice new thoughts, reach for improved emotions, and then see the evidence that the universe will provide, you will come to know your own true power. If someone were to tell you that you are experiencing an incurable disease, you could then say with confidence, I will decide what I will live, for I am the creator of my experience. If your desire is strong enough, it can outweigh your negative beliefs, and your recovery will begin. All right, guys, stay tuned to see if that integrates with what we talk about today. If that's meant for you or not, I hope you receive it. And before we dive in, as always, I also want to disclaim that I am not a licensed therapist. As a friend of psychology, I highly recommend seeking out a medical or mental health professional if you are experiencing any psychological or medical issues. Now, let's dive in. Okay, my loves, I am back for another solo session, like I said. And on this episode, I'm talking about the transformative power of plant medicine and diving deep into my decision to finally drink ayahuasca. Yep, you heard it right. I will be traveling to the depths of Costa Rica soon to drink ayahuasca with a bunch of other women. Casual, right? (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I've had my fair share of experimental experiences before. I mean, astral projection, did it. Biodynamic breath work, sure. Psychedelics, you bet. But ayahuasca always carried a bit of a different weight for me. Through the years, I've been offered the opportunity to take the medicine, but it was always a no for me. I don't know, the idea of sitting in a house a few miles from where I live with a bunch of people I'm probably going to see at the grocery store wearing, like, athletic wear soon after didn't really seem as appealing to me. But when you're in the middle of the jungle and a chance meeting leads you to a spot on a luxuriously curated plant medicine retreat, you take it. (laughs) It was a full-body yes for me. At a time when my yeses becoming very clear and my special sauce was bottled for the use of consumption the universe intervened and offered me this pathway i mean to many you'll hear me probably say this again i'm simply just doing drugs in the jungle to others i'm entering into communion with mother earth herself i kind of find myself at peace in the middle if i'm being honest And as I've spoken about in other episodes, when you say yes to something, you say no to almost everything else. Once I said yes to ayahuasca or AYA, as it's also called, my life anchored me to be ready. The second I said yes, you guys, the medicine began. So let's talk a little bit about ayahuasca itself for anyone who maybe doesn't know or has never heard of this or just doesn't know a lot. Ayahuasca combines two Quechua words, aya meaning death or soul, and huasca meaning vine. In the Shipibo Kanibo tradition, which is the practice tradition for my upcoming Aya expedition, The actual tea that is ingested is referred to as Oni in Shipibo, which loosely translates to knowledge. The Western world's recent scientific research on ayahuasca benefits pretty much prove what indigenous cultures in the Amazon have always known, which is the plant is a very highly powerful transportive substance that can be used to treat physical and mental ailments, and experiencing it with the help of people who are really practiced in its traditions can expand the mind in ways you might have never thought possible. And in a greater movement to decriminalize psychedelics in the United States, the U.S. has seen a rise in the acceptance of mind-altering substances, recently placing the ayahuasca plant in the mix of that greater movement. Many popular media sources are asking why some of these drugs were considered Schedule 1 drugs to begin with for their ability to treat mental illness and expand the mind as resources in like the ever-growing understanding of how to treat the psyche. I mean, when I was in school getting my psych masters, we had to learn so much about how psychoactive drugs affected mental disorder. And there was always mixed opinions. There was always you know, certain biases that would be sort of thrown around in the class. But the consensus was that, I mean, these drugs, these substances do have the capability to sort of affect our brain chemistry in a way that we don't have access to in our conscious conditioned life. There is an inhibition that does go down for us to access certain neural pathways in our brain so that we can actually rewire things. I mean, it's it's happening. I'll get into that another time. I mean, for now, we're talking about ayahuasca. And I mean, Netflix gets it. I saw Chelsea Handler drink ayahuasca in her Netflix documentary series, Chelsea Handler Does, a couple years ago. And I just remember thinking, okay, one day, I'm gonna do that. And I just remember, you know, it was sort of, I don't wanna say shocking, but it was definitely New to see that on a very popular media source at the time. There's also Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind book series and uh, television series in which drug exploration isn't judged, it's explored. I mean, people try medicine, plant medicine for different reasons. It's not my job to say whether those reasons are good or bad, right or wrong. My intention is to understand. And if I'm going to be drinking a tea that is loosely translated to knowledge, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to understand. So let's talk about what goes into an ayahuasca ceremony. Ayahuasca is considered medicine and should not be used recreationally or without the supervision of practice healers who have studied the medicine in countries where it's legal and there is a cultural connection to the substance. Ayahuasca's psychoactive properties are most commonly derived from a vine containing MAOIs or monoamine oxidase inhibitors. Yep, try saying that 10 times fast. And the leaves of Psychotria viridis, a plant containing DMT. Yeah, we used to have to throw words like that around in casual conversation. Back in the day, in school, and let me tell you, it was not easy and it still isn't. DMT has been described as the immersive experience of seeing and feeling going from conscious life to something completely different in one breath. Some even referring to it as the God molecule. It's believed that DMT and ayahuasca activates the DMT naturally found in a person's penile gland, often considered the third eye portal. And many believe that this leads to the vision quests that occur after ingesting the brewed version of ayahuasca and why participating in the ceremony is a way to deeply connect to your truest self. So, I mean, you can understand why this might be something I would say yes to or why anyone might say yes to it. And also in the same breath, why somebody might not say yes to it right away, (laughs) why this was kind of a no For a long time, because I think you kind of have to give yourself some time to get comfortable with yourself before you deeply connect to your truest self. Because once you kind of go there, there's really no going back. (laughs) And as somebody who sort of ventured into the depths of their own mind quite often and in the past for fun, I've known that in saying yes to this. I needed to really understand that that communion, that connection to my truest self was not going to be something that was going to completely like alter my entire sense of being. It couldn't shatter me if I was going to do this. And I think at one point in life, it could have. But I digress. Ayahuasca journeys can range from one-night events to multi-day dietas, which usually require the participant to refrain from any intense physical stimulants such as sex, alcohol, and rich foods for a period of time. Let me tell you, I'm usually pretty good about discipline when it comes to diet, when it comes to having to sort of prepare your body for these types of experiences. It has been so challenging. (laughs) I don't know why this time it's been so challenging. And they, you know, so many of the preparation packet, so much of what you read online and hear from people is like, you have to trust your body. Your body's going to tell you and know what it needs to do. If you're easing into the restrictions, that's okay. It doesn't need to be cut and dry, black and white, but just do the best you can. Trust your body's going to take care of you. And so I keep telling myself, okay, okay. You know, it's okay that like I'm craving sugar for the first time in my life. I've never craved sugar before. I'm not a sweet person. I don't like sweets rather. But for some reason, all I want to eat are these vegan gummies that someone left at my house at a party three weeks ago. Thank you for that, by the way. I haven't been, but I want to. And giving up alcohol is not so hard, actually. I'm, For me, at least, I've found that, you know, there's periods when drinking is really fun and available. And there's times where I just don't really care. Giving up caffeine. <laughs> I have never... I have never known how addicted I was to something until the last three weeks. Guys, I used to be a cigarette smoker for, this is this always surprises people when I tell them, but for about, oh God, 10 years, I smoked cigarettes, Marlboro Reds at that. And then one day I just woke up and said, I don't want to do this anymore. And just never really had another, I mean, never smoked like that again. Didn't become like an addict. I've tried drugs before. I've never become an addict. And this is not me loosely throwing that word addict or addiction around without some awareness and humble humility. This is me talking about the notion that when you take coffee off the table and you're not prepared, that shit hits, okay? I don't know how much my body was operating off of espresso until we took it off the table. So that's what I'm operating off of. You're also not supposed to, at this time, do any adrenaline-inducing activities. I'll tell you this. I've never wanted to get a tattoo, see a scary movie, ride a roller coaster, or have sex. More than I ever have right now. And my poor partner who's coming in town (laughs) in the next few days during this recording, at the time of this recording, we haven't seen each other for a month And the fact that we don't get to do that, well, that's love, folks. That's love. Um, So anyway, you kind of have to take all these, you have to refrain from doing all these things for a period of time. About two weeks out is when they really say, and about a month out, six weeks out is when you kind of have to start. So most ceremonies are held in a maloka, which is a wooden ceremonial structure with a thatched roof. And they usually begin at sunset and end the following morning before dawn, usually lasting around like five to six, maybe seven hours. The ceremonies usually include about 20 people or less and begin with some type of cleansing initiation through the use of tobacco snuff, such as hape. They usually move that smoke around you basically to kind of cleanse your aura, energetic field, your airwaves, And after you ingest the tea, here's the fun part. Most participants will experience a purging reaction, which, yes, includes vomiting and shitting. Can't you just imagine the glamour of it all? (laughs) Also, I say this with full deep honoring integrity because I think it is a beautiful thing But it's also possible that for women who are experiencing this, they will be on their moon, which is their menstrual cycle or the period. And if you can only imagine, like up to like 15 to 20, very probably spiritual, esoteric, you know, open-minded, open-hearted, very empathetic, you know, healers, healing type of people all in one room and you're on your period – And you're drinking a tea that they call knowledge in the middle of the night. Guys, some shit's about to go down. I'm kind of thankful I won't be experiencing that much body um, naturalness. (laughs) But will I be purging? Most likely, yes. But we'll get to that. The shamans and the healing elders usually sing prayers through song, to facilitate a sense of calm and tranquility while the tea is doing its thing. And while I believe that some ceremonies observe the quiet practice known as noble silence, many rituals encourage participants to emote as necessary, such as crying, screaming, and purging. Oh my. And laughing. I think that laughing is okay too. Although I'm really nervous at the prospect of sitting in Like, pretty stark silence, and then suddenly someone just starts screaming. That's a vibe. That's a big vibe. And as with anything in life, no two ceremonies are the same, nor are any two people's experiences. Some have shared that very little happened for them during their ceremony, describing kind of, like, glimmers of colorful visuals or louder versions of intuitive messages they've already received, maybe sort of just getting a glimpse of something, but not really feeling is I might say like fully radically changed, but I've heard the stories of those who really go there wherever that is. Visions of animals, creatures, sacred lands, codes, languages, and people they feel they know greeting them. I've heard of mermaids in the skies and panthers at your feet My favorite is the one where you puke up a snake, really hoping for that one. But my take is that you're guided to have the journey that is meant for you. There are no mistakes. You're guided by practiced hands and well-intentioned space holders, but your mind decides how far you go. And anyone who's dabbled in psychoactive substances can attest to the notion that good vibes elicit good times. And I have to admit that I've always been really grateful and considered myself really lucky to be somebody who has a really strong and really potent connection and relationship with my mind. I've been communing with my inner dialogue for as long as I can really remember if I'm being fully transparent and to some, you know, I, I'm used to people sort of being like, oh, yeah, you know, I get that. Like, you know yourself. And it's like, yeah, but when you're like five years old and you're looking in a mirror or asking your mother, like, what am I? Who is Julia? And your mother looks at you with terror in her eyes, realizing that she's, you know, created an existential little monster who is going to be questioning things for the rest of her life. You know, you kind of have to get used to it and, and find a way to get comfortable with it. And in doing so, and I mean... That goes with a lot of counseling, therapy, coaching, experimental experiences. I mean, I've I've allowed myself to explore my capacity as a human in so many different types of experiences, basically just to understand what my limits are so that I could experience a full range and spectrum of what the human condition has to offer. And in doing so, hope to, in some way, hold space for, educate Heal or share these experiences for the higher good of all, which I hope I'm doing right now, if I'm being honest. But I noticed over the years that people would come to me wanting to have my company or my presence around them when they would try these psychoactive substances. And I started to grasp that my ability to ground myself and tell myself, you know, I knew what I was doing and I knew how to understand what was what was happening to my mind and my body enough so that I could surrender and succumb to the psychoactive substance. But I could also remember that I was a person ingesting something, looking for a certain experience or open to a certain experience. And I think that energy allowed other people the opportunity to experiment with someone that they felt safe with and grounded with and someone who had that experience and that ability to speak to the experience in a way that diminished the fear and diffused the anxiety. And so with any psychoactive experience or mind-altering substance, going into that with any negative feelings or underprocessed thoughts, high expectations, and the wrong choice of clothing – are among the few things that can sour a spiritual experience. I'll get into that last bit later, but now that you have a sense of what I'm going into, let's dive into how I got there. But before I tell you about my last adventure, I wanna take a second to share how I'm preparing for my next one. Jewelry is a staple for my self-expression, and as the goddess of expression, I wanna feel divine everywhere I go. From tropical retreats to posting up behind the microphone, I'm wearing a Stay Gold Collective one-of-a-kind piece. And there is no question I will be bringing my Stay Gold Collective beauties to coast. Stay Gold Collective makes jewelry you won't want to take off and don't have to. Perfect for gifts, treasured heirlooms, or just to add to your personal collection. Stay Gold Collective provides custom pieces made with intention. From the Eye of Protection earrings to the Ruby Sun medallion, not to mention their new gem drops, which feature hand-picked quality gems that easily slide onto any Stay Gold Collective necklace or chain. Like my signature golden snake necklace, there is a piece for you. So shop at staygoldcollective.com and follow the collective on the gram at staygold underscore collective. And as a loving listener, please feel free to use our exclusive never expiring code, GOODJUJU, that's J-U-J-U, for 20% off everything always. Now, back to our sacred space. So I'm now going to share how I got here, how I came to the decision and the opportunity to embark on this ayahuasca journey. And I'm telling my side of the story from my perception, my experience, just to disclaim, because there were other people there, but they're not with me right now. So bear with me. So last fall, I had the pleasure of attending an incredible leadership retreat in Costa Rica, led by the incomparable Mel Wells. If you don't know who Mel is, go check her out on Instagram or her website. She is an amazing leadership coach that focuses and works with women, empowerment, queens, women in business. Like she's just such a vibe. Mother, mother, mother. Ugh, love her. I had attended Mel's retreats previously knowing I was sure to experience magical expansion, lifelong connections, and a surge of queen-like energy that Mel is just known to endow on her clients and loved ones. It's actually Mel Wells that encouraged me to open this portal of permission. I will never forget the day she looked at me and said, the podcast, do the podcast. So Mel, if you're listening, thank you. It's no surprise then that Mel would have top-notch guest speakers there to share their delicious knowledge with us which led me to Taylor Simpson. Taylor is the untamed woman. Her words, her trademark. In our retreat, Taylor taught us a mastermind session called creating wealth in your business with ease. It was very clear upon seeing Taylor that she is a very powerful woman with a really powerful message about how to manifest abundance through the power of energy, science, and intention. And I, among the rest of the participants, were eager not just for her knowledge, but for her attention, her energy. She was just one of those really magnetic, charismatic, gregarious people that you just really wanted to experience. And I totally understand that. The alchemy of feminine and masculine power that was gleaming off of Taylor and as somebody who really resonates with that duality in a really deep way, I just had this gut feeling that beyond this mastermind class, Taylor and I were going to cross paths or share something. There was going to be a connection. I just kind of felt it. I'd even experienced the moment when during the class, a couple of the other women or some of my new friends You know, you get really close to people on retreats really quickly. So we had learned a lot about each other and each other's missions and stories and pasts really quickly. And when we were going through the mastermind with Taylor, a couple of the other women had looked at me during the session, sort of mirroring back to me the same excitement that Taylor and I had a lot in common, but we'll get back to that. As the mastermind closed, everybody was sort of gathering around Taylor after with enthusiastic questions and gracious goodbyes. But since I had this deep feeling that Taylor and I were going to talk again, like a true Leo, I walked off on my own and I waited for my moment. So the retreat was ending the next day and I noticed that the shuttle schedule to take us back to the airport had been updated and one of my newfound soul sisters and I were set to make the three hour drive back to the airport together but with the new addition of Miss Taylor Simpson in our car and my now dearest friend and soul sister Diana shout out to the goddess Diana and I looked at each other and it was like we both knew that something about this was happening for a reason. I also, (laughs) I don't know why this feels important to share, but I also had to mention that in this exact, (laughs) okay, now that I'm saying this, I feel silly, but don't judge me. Permission to share, yes please. In this exact mastermind, I happen to have my phone on me, which I never do in these things, and I happened to check my text messages because I was getting a bunch of messages and it was from my mom. And in this exact moment that I'm meeting Taylor Simpson, my mom had gifted me with an early Christmas present <laughs> to Taylor Swift concert tickets. And I'm not gonna lie, I'm a T I'm a, I'm a Swift fan, all right? To see this era's concert was a vibe, okay? Sorry, judge me, it is what it is. But to get tickets for Christmas at this exact moment, was such a gracious, like, kismet moment. I'm telling Diana all about this, and I'm just like, there is a burst of Taylor energy happening around me, and it feels vast and abundant and mm, delicious. And we kind of touched on the little things that during the mastermind we'd learned about Taylor that I seem to have in common with her. And besides the very obvious truth that we are both Leos, um... If you don't know by now, I am a cancer Leo, but almost all of my placements are in Leo. I resonate with Leo. And anybody who tries to tell me that my birthday on the cusp is more cancer, look, I get it. But you got to meet me. You got to, like, see me. You got to experience me. And you'll know that it's, like, pretty pure Leo. Um, But I digress. We were talking about Taylor's stories. And... So much of what Taylor shared with us and how she came to find her calling really resonated with my own. And I'm sure so many people can say that about you know any experiences of pain or self-identity, but there was just some specific details that were so acutely on point to mine that it was hard to dismiss this. With utmost respect to Taylor, and the retreat space and my sisters and myself. I'm not going to share those details. They will remain undisclosed. But what I will share is that it was one of the first times I had met another healer, another coach, another leader and woman in business who emulated such deep aspects of my essence. It was one of the first times I saw someone like me doing what I really aspired to do. And even though I occupy space and a position in this healing community, this coaching community, it felt really exciting and inspiring to see a glimmer of what someone else was doing, knowing that we had experienced such similar things. And especially when you really admire somebody and admire their mission and what they offer to the world, it just gave me this taste of excitement and hope and eagerness to expand into what's coming. So when the shuttle picked us up the next day, I played it cool. (laughs) Look, after years in hard-hitting production rooms, I can tell you right now, and also after studying psychology for so many years, people shut down fast when you come on too hard. We all know this. Whether you're in you know, an audition or a meeting or you're on a date or meeting somebody new for the first time, it's not that you got to play it cool. You just got to be cool. (sighs) And when I say cool, I just mean there is a beautiful alchemy between expressing your intentions, your emotions, and allowing a moment to unfold naturally. So that's what I did. And as we drove into the jungle, preparing for the bumpy road ahead, and I mean bumpy three hours in a car, I eased into the conversation. And to be honest, the rest kind of felt like history. Speaking with Taylor felt easy. It felt like a friend that I've known for years. And I, of course, can nor will not speak on Taylor's behalf, but i do you believe that there was a sense of comfort in the car that day. I mean, we were all essentially strangers and we were, you know, kind of stuck in a road trip together. And I just remember feeling at peace about the whole situation and just really safe, a trust, if you will. And as we shared details of our lives, it was almost humorous how many small details we seemed to mirror back to each other. And again, I want to just own my shit in saying, you know, if Taylor ever listens to this, Taylor, if you are listening, what that experience was for me was, again, just this glimmer of hope that some of the hardships, actually, and some of the painful experience I'd gone through, it was... Breath of fresh air to talk to somebody who had experienced similar things and not only came out the other side, which I believe I had as well, but had thrived and created such splendor from their experience that I kind of accept and realize I had just, you know, opened the door to what my alchemy and my sharing was going to give to the world and walked through that door last year in a very deep, but new way these things are very much in the early stages of development and what I'm offering to the world right now is still very much in its baby phase guys I know this so I just want to say like it was basically like talking to someone who had birthed these creations into the world while (laughs) I was pregnant with the ideas all right there it is so Don't get me wrong, I may be fully misinterpreting what went down in that car ride, but I later asked my other friend, Lucy, her take, who was also in the car, and it all seemed to be kind of in connection. Taylor and I vibed. And when we had to stop the car to partake in a mandatory jungle piss, I felt this connection had for sure happened for a reason. Also, side note, since I was a teenager... I have used the phrase jungle piss to describe the unavoidable moment when you sometimes have to pee outside, i.e. camping or, you know, at a party. And, guys, I grew up in the Midwest, okay? Shit happens. But to be able to say I actually peed in a jungle, such a vibe. Anyway, back to the car ride. After what felt like a fairly fast three hours in the car, I quickly scanned my intuition to inquire if there was something more to this divine meeting, or if this car ride of three hours on a bumpy jungle road was just that. Taylor is an accomplished, successful, altruistic, not to mention wildly beautiful woman, and being welcomed by her truths felt like a pathway of purpose to me. Then she mentioned ayahuasca, and this is in the last like 30 minutes of the ride. I can't recall what exactly led us there, but to most in the esoteric, healing, coaching, spiritual community, it's not a wildly unheard of topic to casually come up, okay? So Taylor explained that she had an upcoming ayahuasca retreat in Costa Rica the following year and that there were only a few spots left. And I started racking my brain for more info, more or less checking in with my body for guidance, And I asked how one might inquire about these open slots. This was my first time in Costa Rica, this last retreat, and I fell in love with it. And so many people are drawn to Costa Rica for their own missions, their own awakenings, their own experiences. But I knew that I was going to be coming back to Costa Rica. I just didn't know why. And I started to get a feeling that this might be it. So Taylor explained the expected application process that others go through to be carefully selected for the sacred experience and that most of these applicants were women that Taylor had worked with or had previously known. Then for one of the first times in the entire three hour car ride, she turned around facing me in the back seat and casually offered that after talking to me in this car, I could bypass the application process and jump straight into signing up. Guys, I was shook. Not only was I excited at the prospect of safely ingesting ayahuasca in the presence of influential goddesses in the depths of the Costa Rican jungle, but because my intuition had told me that this was destined. Taylor had opened up a permission portal, and I walked through it. So what happened next? Well, many say that the second that you say yes to ayahuasca, the medicine begins then. (laughs) You are initiated. I had no idea what this meant, What I could perceive was that I would undeniably go through some transformation and that anything that was meant to come to the surface would. I didn't think it would start four months before I'd even drank the tea, but it did. Once I got home from my retreat, I secured my spot and made all the arrangements. I told my loved ones and I put it on my calendar expecting more emotions to come up closer to takeoff. Then the holidays happened. It was the first holiday season in my life where I wasn't really in the holiday spirit, mostly due to the fact that I was so caught up in my own spirit. I started thinking about myself in relation to my family differently. I noticed time passed differently. I felt like I was being sort of reprogrammed, rewired, if you will, for an update as if I was in the room but not fully present. And it wasn't really a bad thing, just noticeably different. And of course, I mean, this could be attested to growing up and the holidays and all these things, but I had a deep feeling, I had a gut knowing that there was something else that was happening, that I was getting prepared for something and I didn't quite know, I couldn't put my finger on what that was. Thoughts about my past that I felt I had made peace with had resurfaced and questions about my choices were challenged and indifferent opinions surrounding once confusing relationships emerged. And then I started to hustle. My vocation, my services, my mission was calling to me in this way that it it just hadn't really been available yet. I was working all of last year, but there were sort of these seeds that were being scattered. And in this way, it was almost like here's the hose and here's a shovel, like dig, go. And if you've been following me or know me at all, and if you don't, over the last year, I've been practicing much of what I'm talking about now and offering now. But there was a lot of what I was doing that I was sort of keeping to myself and kind of keeping on the down low. I wasn't really announcing it as much, mostly just because I knew that I was growing and sort of um, nurturing this idea and these business ideas and these offerings and services. But there was a deeper reverence to my calling that I could not ignore, especially once the new year started. So I answered. And once I did, that easy abundance that Taylor once spoke about in that retreat started trickling in. There was alignment in my mind, my body, and my spirit that I hadn't experienced at this level in years, if maybe ever. And guys, I'm like talking about the last couple of months. Like this is recent, that all these things that for the last truly probably three years I've been working on, activated as if I literally pressed a button and warp sped into space with all of these things just happening and saying yes and and beginning. It was pretty wild. I had clarity and preparation and balance in this way that I, Wasn't even aware that I was capable of. A winning combo to ignite a life on fire. Clarity, preparation, and balance. The good kind. Saying yes to Aya meant saying no to most everything else. I noticed my energy levels were changing. I no longer had the energy capacity to hold for as many people anymore. Mostly just people that I was working with and my very deep inner circle, my family, my dear close friends, my partner. I no longer had the energy to put myself in high-stimulating situations that had once offered me such relief and excitement and joy. I just wanted to work and serve and cocoon and protect something. Part of saying yes to the Aya also meant changing my diet, like I talked about in the beginning, to accommodate the balanced levels of adrenaline that is advised in order to maintain an even flow during the ceremony. So like I said, things like coffee, sex, cold water were now off the table. And like I said early on, never in my life did I wanna eat bacon as much as I did the first week in the dieta. But as I mentioned earlier, I eased into it. I trusted my body to tell me what was a yes and what was a no. I wasn't strict. But I was aware and I'm still aware. And I'm in a pretty deep devotion to those restrictions right now. And even though it's been really challenging, <laughs> I am pretty grateful and pretty proud of myself and pretty happy to have been engaging in these preparations because I know that the balance and the clarity it's going to provide me later on is going to be really potent. I expect the purge to happen for me. I expected the process to be surprising, but that's the thing about psychoactive medicine and the first thing every practitioner says create intentions, not expectations. So that's what I'm doing. So to create intentions for drinking ayahuasca, I've been really lenient, and at first I wasn't sure if I was going to share those intentions with you or if they were maybe you know, to be considered too sacred, but as I'm sharing pretty much everything else, and this being thus far probably the most personal episode I'm putting out so far... I figured, what the hell? But talking about intentions also makes me think about what other people have said about their experiences. I sort of touched on this in the beginning of the episode, but I've spoken to a couple of people who've had a pretty mixed bag. Some come back often with an elated and euphoric sense of themselves as if there was a secret level to an unlocked chamber in their life that they became privy to. But I've also spoken to a friend who found the experience to be a little underwhelming and unfulfilling, to which I wondered if this was a byproduct of where the person was in their life, or if this was the environment, or some other factor. But for the most part, I can sort of chalk it up by what people say, that drinking ayahuasca is like taking yourself on a trip into the multiverse without a map, but you trust the guide. And I've experienced ego death before, which if some people don't understand or know what that is, it's basically a separation of the egoic self and the internal self, the self. And when those two things separate, you sort of get a glimpse at your essence and your being and your spirit separate from your human body and your shell. And that can be a really startling and call into a sense of your mortality that can really shake, shatter, and roll a lot of people. Um, I was very fortunate to have an experience where I was able to guide myself through it and come back pretty whole and safely. But I've also experienced things where, you know, and again, I guess it's subjective to admit this, but I've seen the edge of the planet. I've danced across others' dreams. I feel like I've discovered the meaning of life before. So why ayahuasca? (laughs) Why now? Before the trip, I had to undergo an intake meeting with a retreat facilitator, and we were really low on time because I'd actually forgotten about the meeting, ironically, because this podcast was released at the same time on the same day. So I hurried into the meeting and let the woman on the other end scan my health survey, which I had to fill out to basically make sure that I was able and adequate to partake in the ceremony. And I was brutally honest in this survey, mind you. I scanned every trauma, every horrific incident I've ever experienced, every moment I'd soon rather forget. I put it on the page just to ensure that I was ready to face anything that would greet me in this trip. And the woman commended me for my honesty as if this was new or this was like novel to her, which she then ended up admitting that not many people were this open in their intake. And kindly admitting that a lot of people simply write that their intention for doing AYA is to quote-unquote heal. And she admitted that it's actually some of these people that she denies the access to. But she compassionately went through each of my bullet-listed traumas, guiding me into a mild expectation of how to manage these happenings if they were to make an appearance in my vision quest. Now, sensitive topic warning... To anyone, feel free to skip ahead. To be honest, there wasn't anything I didn't expect to show up. Sexual trauma, rageful fits, memories of abortion, generational trauma. I was ready for them. And if this is a shock to anybody, welcome to life. Both to my surprise and not shocked at all, based on the life I've lived, the woman on the other end of the intake actually began to cry as she and I talked about some of these things with such a vulnerability and a strength that I think anyone who has endured pain exhibits. She grokked my awareness of myself and my acceptance of my life and my decision to do something expansive and risky anyway. And she, as she cried talking to me about some of my experiences, I think more so just commiserating with me and empathizing with me more than anything. She very deeply looked at me. And again, this is all happening in like 15 minutes. We were supposed to have about 40. She told me that I was ready for ayahuasca and that this was going to be a very good thing in my life right now. And some enter into the ceremony a little unknowing, coming out changed and somewhat shell-shocked. I didn't really want that experience. I wanted as much awareness and pure knowing and solid intention as I could bring into the experience. I wanted to do this when it was going to really mean something. I was already talking to source or spirit in so many ways at all times of the day, but I have learned in the last couple of years to love myself in such a way that so many people will forsake in their human lives that I was ready to say no to everything else and listen. Then the facilitator told me something that knocked my socks right off and brought tears to my eyes. Again, this topic may be sensitive to some and you have full permission to skip ahead always. The facilitator asked me if I was a C-section baby. I wasn't sure where she was going with the question, but I admitted, yes, I was. And the woman started to explain that babies who enter the world via C-section or cesarean are babies who enter the world under the influence of anesthesia and who are, by circumstance, not on time. I can feel that as I say that right now, you guys. Something in my gut turned. First off, not only do I have a tattoo on my right arm stating boldly that I am right on time, but something about this knowledge both comforted me and I think frightened me. She went on to say that there's absolutely zero shame or guilt towards any woman who experiences a C-section. And I want to make that very clear. I harbor nor project any ounce of shame, doubt, guilt, projection, frustration, anger, sadness. There is no negative opinion, bias, or feeling I have about C-sections. In fact, I'm probably going to have to have one if I have a child. A doctor's job is to get a baby and its mother safely through childbirth. That's it. But when a child enters the world via C-section, essentially the child is being separated from their mother without the natural portal into the world. That birth canal provides a pressure for the baby that sends a signal to the baby that there is relief in its journey out of the womb. With a C-section, there isn't necessarily a natural time for when this procedure will happen. The woman went on to explain that C-section babies may endure the experience of never being on time, always feeling slightly ahead or behind in their lives. I mean, who doesn't feel that? But I couldn't help but feel that this was so much of my human experience with the tattoo in my arm serving as a reminder for what I am constantly having to soothe myself into. I'm right on time because I choose to be Right on time. Kind of sounds similar to the card that we pulled today, isn't it? It doesn't mean I feel right on time all of the time. You still with me? C-section babies come into the world under the influence disconnected and inebriated. I want to once again say I harbor no ill will against any individual who's had to undergo a C-section, including my dear mother, the doctors who brought me into this world, or any other babies who have safely entered the world in this way, or who possibly did not. I hold space for you. I hold space for your baby. I hold space for that experience. But this struck a really deep chord in me because I was starting to understand something about myself that I could have never grasped or put a finger on if I had never been sort of introduced or faced with this concept that the way I had entered into the world affected how I existed and lived in the world she then asked me why it is that I dissociate and this came out of nowhere but there it was The question that brought tears to my eyes without leading me to the outcome, my entrance into the world is close to the ways I excuse myself from it. Dissociation and I used to be good friends. Remember all those experimental experiences I referred to earlier? Sure, I gained wisdom, knowledge, and strength from them. But at the same time, much of the drive was dissociation. Sometimes life gets loud. And though I proudly plant my feet on the earth with no intention of changing that anytime soon, sometimes I just needed to turn the volume down especially when you have intuition antennas the size of lightsabers, okay? I asked the woman in the interview how this would appear in my ayahuasca journey. And she simply just said to me, start to notice when you want to dissociate. And in that moment, be as deeply present as you can. So that's how my intentions were formed. The woman in the intake interview left me with one other nugget of something to hold on to. The purge that happens during the ceremony, a.k.a. the puking and shitting, is actually a sacred thing. In Western culture, we view purging as getting sick. But indigenous culture views the purge as getting well. It's the excavation of all the negative energy, impurities, and bacteria that's coming out of your system. The purification and the fulfillment that comes with the purge is one that is welcomed, or so I hear. One that I intend to greet with grace, or as much grace as I can while vomiting into a bucket with a bunch of people around me. Which I will come back and say, make sure you're wearing something that is comfortable, flowing, and easily removable. But let's cap this with my intentions. I mentioned before that some of the deepest preparation one can do prior to their ayah ceremony is to create intentions, not expectations. I don't expect the medicine to heal my soul. I don't expect the experience to put me on a completely different life path. I expect the unexpected, but my intentions, those are a little in flux. I'm going into this experience with two somewhat clear intentions. The first being... That I simply intend to just experience what ayahuasca is. I intend to surrender and be open to the medicine withholding my desire to control or command how this plant wishes to connect with me. My intention is just to say yes. My second intention is to understand why it's so hard for me to breathe. <laughs> I have been an actor, a singer, a public speaker, a voiceover artist, a horror performer, a water healer, a breathwork participant, a coach. And through it all, my ability to breathe has always been my hamartia or my fatal flaw. It's as if my breath and I are on different pages sometimes, as if I cannot get my breath to fully expand within my body. And yet I was provided a voice, a service, And a gift of expression that requires breath above all else. Western culture conditions most of us to be in a constant state of doing versus being. Being is where the breath is born. It's where it thrives. In doing, we often hold our breaths or the breath becomes super short or super withheld unable to activate and maintain the life force that supports us. The woman on the intake interview also mentioned to me that there is undeniably a connection between my being a C-section baby and the breathing. I tend to hold my breath. Maybe I'm waiting for something. Maybe I'm protecting myself, bracing myself. But the reason why I decided to share this in the podcast was this is what's really happening. This is what I'm experiencing. And though this space in the permission portal is here, of course, to educate and to enlighten, it's also to be real and to give myself permission to experience and share what my experience is. And this is a big one. So As I embark into the jungle of Costa Rica soon and drink the tea of knowledge, my intention is to basically see what I'm capable of, to understand what the next level of my limitations are, to see how far I can go and what happens. I'm really grateful that there is so much safety and protocol and preparation that's going into this experience that it is curated to some degree by well-intentioned and pure-hearted individuals like Taylor and the retreat facility and the shamans, the medicine practitioners, and the individuals, other women that are going with me. There's so much love to be shared and experienced by saying yes to this plant medicine And even though I have no idea what to expect, I intend for some pretty big miracles. I'm ready and I'm excited. And I believe that these permission portals are worth exploring. I believe that my saying yes to this experience has the power to alter the way I see the world and in doing so may alter the way I talk about the world. Thus, causing a ripple effect of how the world is experienced. I believe that what we experience shapes us and I'm ready to be molded even more. I'm open to being guided to a place where sacred knowledge exists. And I'm also ready to stay exactly the same. Again, I have no idea who I might be when I return or what I will have experienced. I don't know if my life will deeply change or if the up level will be a subtle one. Who knows if I'll see a mermaid in the sky or a snake in my bucket? God, I hope not. But what I do know is that I said yes for a reason. And I shared my reason with you. So as I prepare to jet off to the jungle and sip the knowledge plant, I intend to share what I learned when I get back. And for now, I will take a deep breath, remind myself, that my intention is to simply understand, be open, and breathe. At the end of every episode, I like to close the portal with a little segment I like to call, do you grok it? To grok something is to intuitively understand and embody it without explanation or guidance. It's a feeling you can identify even if that feeling isn't initially yours. After these convos, I wanna check in and make sure that we're grokking. I talked a lot today about the use of psychoactive substances and their effect on your daily life. There is inherent risk and danger to ingesting psychoactive substances and it should not be taken lightly or done without proper preparation, support, and intention. To some, I'm doing drugs in the jungle. To others, I'm opening my universal vault. If you have considered alternative or holistic medicine, please safely and wisely grant yourself permission with clarity, preparation, and balance. The facility I will be attending offered this sentiment. The mission in Ayahuasca is to bridge the gap between head and heart for those who seek it. In a world of increasing disconnection from ourselves, our earth, our history, and each other, the aim is to find balance by providing an authentic, safe, and loving space for each individual, no matter their background, to get in touch with their truth. I touch on that notion That the way you enter into the world has a large effect on how you take up space in it. Ayahuasca is a permission portal for those who seek it. And I hope that by my sharing my experience leading up to it, that you feel you have some insight if you ever find yourself seeking that purpose pathway. And if me talking about being a Leo isn't the most Leo thing ever, come forward to tell me what is. Do you grok it? Hey, pleasure seekers. I hope you guys vibed out to this episode. If you feel called to, please download, leave a review, or share with a loved one. The ripple effect of these actions not only support me, but support others in discovering the permission that awaits them. Think of it as an act of love. If you're looking to connect with me personally or are interested in my coaching services and events, you can find me online at IamJuliaHenning.com or on Instagram at IamJuliaHenning. Tag me in the hashtag PermissionPortal on your social media when you're listening and let's vibe. Ready for the next Permission Portal? Look out for new episodes every Wednesday. And thank you all for tuning in and tuning inward. As always, it has been my pleasure.